Welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. We're a student-run podcast that tackles issues in public health. I'm your host, Ian Bukta, and it's just me in the studio this week as we are ramping up into finals week. Oge will be back with us next week, but for this week, you're just stuck with just me. So what we're going to talk about this week is the thing that's on everyone's mind, COVID-19, and it has upended the world, global economies, and public health. Over the last few weeks, we have been taking a peek at how it has touched different aspects of society and how we can cope with it. At the beginning of the year, we talked about the virus itself and then in abstract about how people and public health would respond to it. Then we talked about some of the practical ways to deal with the social distancing in healthcare like telemedicine. Last week, Luke talked to Daniel Soto about how students and athletes are coping with the different changes, and this week we are going to continue to look at how lives, businesses, and how healthcare delivery has been changed by COVID-19. Since we've interviewed a few guests over the last year about the opioid epidemic, we figured it would be interesting to you all to hear about how care is still being delivered despite the many restrictions from social distancing. So for this episode, Luke Sampson sat down with Carrie Hegeman, the Executive Director at Addiction Recovery Solutions, an opioid recovery center that provides no-cost screenings, medications, behavioral therapy, and counseling to people struggling with opioid addiction in Delray Beach, Florida. Their organization works directly on the front line in a health delivery setting that is vitally important and immensely complicated by the arrival of this global pandemic. All right, here's Luke's interview with Carrie, starting right after Luke asked her to talk about what her role at the clinic is and what the clinic does. Um, First of all, I am the executive director of Access Recovery Solutions in Delray Beach, Florida. Our clinic is one of multiple clinics uh, within the company Addiction Medical Solutions. We have clinics in Wisconsin, Maryland, Delaware, and then here in Florida with Access Recovery Solutions. Um, So as far as our company, uh, the challenge was for our upper management and owners to um, provide PPEs, not just to our clinic, but to multiple clinics in multiple states. (laughs) And I guess the good news about, about that is since the middle of March, I think, you know, the first that we really started having director meetings and getting into the nuts and bolts as to how we were going to operate, you know, under, you know, COVID-19 conditions started then. And, and, you know, we started having meetings and making plans for, you know, how we were going to get masks, gloves, face shields, you know, something that as a clinic, you know, we didn't use on the clinical end of things. Of course, nursing has always, taken precautions and you know use gloves and safety measures but on the behavioral health side it it was it was a whole new it was a whole new ball game for us you know so um as far as uh ppes at our clinic here um, because of our upper management and the company we work with and you know their 24 7 commitment to finding those anywhere and everywhere including one of our owners out in washington you know, hit a farm center and got got some equipment there. So I can say we and I have never went went without and we have been open and providing services, you know, all throughout the, the pandemic. Yeah, that's awesome. So you, you kind of talked about how 
access recovery solutions has multiple locations around the United mm -hmm. States. Do you know of any like state by state differences? Because I know right now in terms of the response, um, in terms of getting testing and PPE, uh, the both the federal government and uh, state governments have been kind of doling out PPE and testing on a state by state basis. So do you know mm -hmm. if like your Florida location received more aid than the Wisconsin locations or anything like that, or are you not? Again, I, I'm not aware of that because I'm just dealing with our company. And as far as our company, um, all of our clinics have had PPEs throughout the pandemic. As far as testing for COVID-19, um, that's been another issue here in Palm Beach County. I've had three staff members sick and self-quarantine and all three were unable to, be, to, to get tested. We've had a couple of patients. We have 275 patients. We've had multiple patients ill throughout this pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a couple that have actually gotten tested now and um, we're awaiting those results. So I guess all in all, as far as testing, I, I think it's a huge issue here and hopefully you know that that can get that can get better as we go along yeah absolutely how has the COVID-19 pandemic changed the way that you work specifically in in your daily life and daily operations at ARS you touched on kind of the difficulties of doing behavioral therapy using personal protective equipment and everything like that but if you want to just talk a little bit more about your experience with that and and sure um so um Again, starting the middle of March, I would say it was the week of March 16th. We immediately implemented Skype and Zoom um, throughout our clinic and began, you know, providing services with telehealth and phone sessions. We made sure that all of our patients had phones. If they didn't have a phone, we provided them with track phones so they would still have a connection to the clinic. We also have a 24-hour on-call service available for our patients. We lost our lobby. <laughs> uh, we lost our lobby. We, we realized we initially started attempting social distancing in the lobby and then things became worse. We started dispensing. We have a side door that goes directly to the dispensary and we opened that up and had a table. It's Florida, so it's warm. It's <laughs> a table out there starting, you know, the middle of March on for check-ins. We have a, um, actually an app with our software that the patients are able to download and check in through that app you know, to get their medication. In a nutshell, I, I believe we have been able to keep you know, ourselves, our patients safe with social distancing, you know, the setup in the dispensary, the PPEs, you know, and still been able to provide quality care to the patients. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear about all of the different ways that different sectors are kind of dealing with social distancing precautions and everything like that. Like for schools, it's, it's Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, Zoom, Zoom class after Zoom class. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys found a way to, to implement something like that um, at ARS. Yeah. yeah, we still, I mean, we still have, it's business as usual as far as you know, most of our procedures, we still have a weekly staffing and we go over any high risk patients. We go over any testing that has been done. 
Um, it's a chance for us to check in with each other. So we've been using Zoom for that also. First couple ones were rough, <laughs> but but we're getting better. We got those under our belt now. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, same same with classes. You'll have a few professors that are still trying to figure out how to how to open the Zoom link and turn on the audio. And so. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably in that group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So from your perspective as a as a care provider for as you mentioned an already vulnerable population what was your response like ARS's response plan to try and ensure the the care goes on and your patients get the care during this time um again it was i think the most important thing is that um we had an ongoing connection with our patients you know through phone calls um, through messaging with, uh, like I talked about, the software app, you know, I think to continuing to, as we're, you know, dispensing medication, you know, passing along education to them about coronavirus and what that entails and how to keep them themselves safe. Yeah. And, and I know, I mean, we've spoke previously about this, but I know at the beginning stages, it was, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys were thinking about trying to implement something of like a, a take-home package. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience and what what has changed in regards to that? And Yeah, sure. Um, so as far as a, a true opioid treatment program, um, there's a percentage of our patients that because of the chronicity of their addiction, they're unable to safely handle medication mm -hmm. outside of the clinic. Mm -hmm. And with the pandemic, <clears throat> what happened with in the state of Florida is it, it was immediately we were in a state of an emergency in Florida. And we're in a hot spot, South Florida. Mm -hmm. So our state opioid authority sent out a blanket exception, meaning that all patients that we deemed you know, could handle medication safely, would get 14 or 28 day take-homes, which in the state of Florida, the most amount of take-homes you can get, you know, is not 28 days. You know, the <laughs> most you can get, the most you can get in Florida is a week. If you transfer in, you can get more take-homes and you, you know, meet some other compliance measures. Um, so, so as you can tell, that was a huge leap. Mm -hmm. So we had to assess patients that maybe are still using other illicit substances besides opiates to mm -hmm. see, you know, whether or not there would be a place, a safe place for them to store their medication, you know, and they'd have a supportive environment to be in. So that was probably the biggest challenge is mm -hmm. assessing and evaluating that. Out of 275 patients, uh, we probably have consistently had under 10 that we have not been able to you know, feel comfortable with giving them medication. Mm -hmm. um, there's probably another, um, I'd say under probably 20% and under that have been able to now, you know, get one or two take-homes medications on the weekends. And the, the, the way that we can tell of how they're doing is any bottle that comes out of here of methadone or suboxone are two medications that we provide those bottles have to come back with that label intact. Mm -hmm. So if they're not able to come back, we give them, 
you know, take home medication on Sunday, on Saturday for Sunday, and that medication bottle isn't returned on Monday, you know, then they're back to coming in and getting medication daily. So that's been one of the things that we are assessing weekly and sometimes on a daily basis at the clinic at this point. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't imagine. I mean, out of the, you said 275 patients going through and basically essentially one by one case by case yeah. assessing yeah. their risk and, and making a really tough decision on whether that would be okay for them to do or not. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, a, a good, you know, there's a portion of our population that they're on what we call maintenance. They're long-term maintenance patients and, and we know them well. And so, like I said, as far as the 14 and 28 day take-home medications, there's just a small percentage that have been unable, you know, to, to safely have, have it at home or where they're staying. So, you know, overall, I guess I, I'm really pleased and proud of, you know, how our patients have taken care of themselves and, and been able to handle the medication safely. Yeah, well, that, that's awesome to hear. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, in terms of a, a clinic perspective, that there's about only about 10% of people that are, I guess, the highest of risk. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. So we've had to, you know, with the patients being sick, the way that's handled is um, we've had good communication with our patients, like I said. So if they have symptoms, they've been calling consistently throughout to let us know you know mm -hmm. and the other thing that each each employee and each patient that comes to the clinic enters the parking lot area is um their temperature is taken with the infrared thermometer so so we have an idea even if they have fevers too mm -hmm. and then what how we handle that is our nurse is in full gear um, mask gloves face shield gowns all the way down head you know from neck all the way down and um, they go out and they give them their medication in the parking lot they stay in their car and they give them their medication in the parking lot and then those patients that are sick you know if they've been ill um, we, we're going to give them the amount to take homes we think you know is advisable in most cases it's 14 to 28 days yeah um, so you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but if, if you have anything to expand on, so what is the situation like um, now, both in Florida and specifically at ARS in terms of available testing and PPE for both you and your patients? You mentioned that a couple of your, um, a couple of workers at ARS have gotten sick, um, but have not gotten testing or, or patients that have been sick, but haven't gotten testing. Um, do you want to expand on that at all? Um, I guess, you know, as far as, as testing, I, I, um, they're attempting to get more locations in Palm Beach County. I know a couple more locations opened up with available testing. And what I've heard about those locations, because before it was, besides the criteria, you had to contact your doctor, you had to get an appointment and, um, I think the restrictions as far as criteria for testing, you know, and locations have gotten better. Um, I, as far as this week, I have not had an experience, you know, with anyone attempting to get tested. 
in the last few days. Um, it seems like as far as symptomology even, things have gotten better here. Um, it's just as far as our clinic with staff and patients, which is good news. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think it, I think it's improving. It needs to improve. You know, we need to be able to know when someone has symptoms, shortness of breath, coughing, fever, you know, sore throat, um, whether or not they, they have COVID-19. Yeah. As far as PPEs, again, as far as my clinic, it, it's been good from the start and it continues to be rock solid. I was sent 195 masks today. I received them actually, I brought them into the clinic yesterday. So, wow, that, that's yeah. awesome to hear. Again, a credit to our upper management. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Well, I mean, obviously you've been working tirelessly um, <laughs> during this outbreak, but what have you been doing personally to, to kind of stay sane during this? How do you know I'm sane? <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been, it's been a big lifestyle change for me here in South Florida. I, as you know, I'm a Wisconsin, born and raised Wisconsin <laughs> gal. I've been here since 2016. And a big part of my life has, has become the water, the ocean. I belong to a boat club. I like to walk on the beach. And, you know, those things haven't been available as far as, you know, activities and outlets um, for me. So I have, I bought a bike and I've been biking. Um, and I got that little nudge from, I was talking to our doctor and he, our doctor, Dr. Mark Schlosser, he checks in with me regularly, even if he's not you know, here at the clinic. And we're having a really calm conversation. We're going over things with patients, things with the staff. And he said, Oh, are you in the clinic? Yeah. I said, Yeah, I'm in my office. Where are you? I'm on my bike. I'm on mile 16. <laughs> Not even breathing hard at that. So <laughs> I was inspired by that, I have to say. <laughs> uh, and that's something I used to do when I was younger. I'm an old dinosaur in this. And uh, so, yeah, I bought a bike and I've been biking and it's been, it's been really enjoyable doing that. Another thing that has been really cool for me is um, the Zoom meetings with extended family members, which, you know, I mean, I don't hardly even see them, much less do a Zoom meeting with any of them ever. Um, so that's been really cool to re-engage with family members and and I guess too just getting a lot of support from both family and friends with phone calls has has helped me a lot too and you know I know I've, I've said this a couple of times but again as far as the company I work for um, you know the owners of this company they they provide a huge amount of support for me and for our clinic too and that helps with sanity <laughs> I guess in the same vein, is there anything you'd like to touch on that makes you specifically happy, you know, on, on a daily basis? Um, I guess, you know, as far as coming to work on a daily basis right now, uh, what makes me happy is and one thing that ha I've been, you know, I, I would have to say, again, pleasantly surprised about is the perseverance 
of our patients. You know, the perseverance of our patients and, you know, the, the fact that, and I have to say I've, I've been wrong because when this started, I was, you know, extremely concerned and upset about how this was going to affect our patients, you know, and, um, and I've been wrong about that. You know, they, I mean, I, as far as a COVID-19, you know, mortality rate at this clinic, um, right now it's zero. You know, we have not lost a patient to COVID-19. Um, as far as medication and handling that, you know, that has went really well. Um, so I, I guess, you know, as far as that's, that's one thing with work that has made me really happy is the, once again, the perseverance of our patients, you know, and the survival skills. It's that, you know, they, it just never ceases to amaze me. As far as just what makes me happy on a daily basis is, you know, I get to be quarantined with the love of my life. Um, <laughs> so I don't really mind that. We, you know, we've been together, uh, what, 18 years. And, you know, so it's comfortable. It's pleasant. I mean, I'm content with, you know, coming to work and, and going back home and doing my little bike ride and <clears throat> um, watching whatever Netflix binge series is the, is the hot one for the week. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> overall, I'm doing okay, Luke. <laughs> well, that's awesome to hear. So what is one thing that you thought you knew but later found out that you were wrong about? I guess I go back to that same thing as far as our patients, you know, I thought I knew we would lose, mm -hmm. you know, we would lose a chunk of our patients through this, you know, with the education that I initially received about coronavirus. Um, and I was wrong and I'm, I, you know, thankfully so I'm sure. Yeah. I, I'm so thankful that I was wrong. And um, again, you know, I think, you know, we can always do better as a clinic, you know, as people. Um, but I guess that's one thing that if I'm going to be wrong about something, I'm really thankful I was wrong about that, you know, and it, and it helps me to get up in the morning, you know, and put on my little face mask and toddle over here to the clinic to know that there, there's been a huge bright side to this for me and for us, you know, as far as access recovery solutions and the coping skills and survival skills and perseverance of our patients. And I could go on and on about our staff too, you know, as far as that goes, because they have pretty seamlessly rolled with making adjustments and changes to how we operate on a daily basis at this clinic. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is kind of funny that you mentioned when we first when all of this first started to come to the United States, I think a lot of people and a lot of people in both the healthcare workforce and maybe the public health sphere, I, I know I was specifically, I heard a lot of things and I knew the potential for um, dangerous situations. And yet the whole time I was almost hoping, I was like, I was hoping the entire time I was going to be wrong about the severity or, or, um, how far it goes, you know, because you have to prepare in a situation like this for the worst case scenario, and especially in, in the healthcare workforce, which is usually, I mean, having patients die, which is something that's, that's yeah. so serious, but I'm, yeah. I'm really glad that you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
I know. Yeah. So, yeah, because, you know, and for us, you know, with what we do, dealing with opiate use disorder, um, we do, we deal with fatality all the time. We deal, I mean, this is a life and death issue. So as far as coronavirus being a life and death issue, for us, that's nothing new, you yeah. know, in this modality. That's what we deal with. So, yeah. you know, I feel like we were a little bit ahead of the game, you know, to begin with as far as that goes. Well, that's awesome to hear. And uh, yeah. I just wanted to, again, extend my, my gratitude and, and thank yous for um, all the work that you're doing right now, being a, a frontline healthcare worker and um from all of us at the front from the front row we really do appreciate what you're doing so thank you so much for joining us thank you luke i appreciate it thank you to luke sampson for bringing us that interview so I, I want to just say, you know, as we're talking about COVID-19 and we're thinking about it, I think this is the week, and I keep saying this, but I think this is the week where it's really starting to settle in for people. People are starting to realize that jobs are just gone or people are starting to really feel the isolation or people are finding out that their rent was just due and, and they couldn't make it. Or people have lost a loved one. And I think this is just when we all need, we need to continue thinking about each other. So please don't forget to make time for yourself and practice self-care. But if you are able, make sure to reach out to some people and ensure that their needs are taken care of too. Reach out to friends that you haven't talked to in a while. And if you are financially able, please make a donation to organizations feeding this country like food banks in your community. I think we all just have to remember that this isolation is hard. This pandemic is hard to fathom, to think about, to cope with, you know, to get through your studies if you're a student and you're listening with us, to get through your work or to get through your parenting. And many of the problems that we see in public health are just continuing to get worse because of this. We see we see a lot of the social determinants of public health coming into play over and over. We see different death rates in different areas and by race. And I think that in a face of all of that, it is tough and it is scary. But I think we all just need to work together and make sure we can get through this together and do whatever we can to mitigate the harms of this pandemic. We're going to have a couple episodes coming up in the next few weeks uh, that a couple of them will be not COVID-19 focused. We've had a lot of COVID-19 coverage and we're going to do something a little bit different for the next couple of weeks. So if you're a little bit burned out, uh, you're ready for something different, uh, we'll bring you some of that. Although we will have, you know, to or a couple minutes to talk about COVID-19 still to bring out any other important updates. So don't worry if you're really enjoying our COVID-19 coverage, we will have more. Um, if you're a little bit burned out, we're going to have something a little different too. Anyway, 
We are out of here. You can find us on Facebook at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. We're on iTunes and Spotify as well as the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Let us know what you thought about this episode and series as a whole at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. That's cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode of From the Front Row was hosted by Ian Bukta and Luke Sampson. It was edited and produced by Ian Bukta. Thank you to our guest, Carrie Hegeman, for coming on the pod this week. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. We'll see you next week, everybody.